Brewers baseball fans, welcome to episode 61 of the Levon Hernandez edition of the View from Bernie Chalet podcast. Wisconsin, JD. Joining me in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's Alex, and in Whitewater, Wisconsin, it's Brad. What's going on, guys? Not much. Uh, you know, yeah, keeping it real. <laughs> Prep, prepping uh, my vacation life. So, really, dude, there was no one besides Levon Hernandez for sixty-one. <laughs> um, there was two other options: uh, Hernan Irabaran. Wore 61 before he ended up wearing nine. And Brandon Kinsler wore oh, 61 on. before 53. Kinsler all the way. I wanted to go with someone ridiculous like Levon, who only <laughs> spent, you know, what, like July through September of last year in a Brewers uniform. Yeah. Because while when he when he came into the game, you knew it was pretty much over. Either we were winning a lot or losing a lot. But it was fun to just watch him throw complete junk up at the opposing batter and the way he so nonchalantly did everything as far as, you know, just pitching the ball and as little as, you know, receiving the ball back from the catcher, it just looked like he was so disinterested and didn't want to be there. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause I mean, he's, he's one of a series of white flag. It seems the brewers always need to have a white flag or just a guy to waste innings on in their bullpen. Whether or in their lineup, uh, in case of some of the guys we have. <laughs> oh, in the case of Jeff Supon, Levon Hernandez, um, Ray King was like that for a little bit. They just um, like ha- having that useless guy. And really, right now, um, I mean, let's jump right into our first topic. Uh, is John Axford moments away from being that guy in the 2013 bullpen? I mean, he has gotten off to a absolutely horrendous start, um, you know, coming off of 2010 and 2011 when he was uh, pretty much lights out, looked like he was going to be our closer for the foreseeable future. Last year came in, really struggled to start the year, um, found it toward the end of the year, but now starts off 2013. Things are supposed to be different, and they have not been different as Axford in um, – uh, looking at the innings here in three and a third innings pitched. He has allowed nine hits, nine runs, all of which have been earned four home runs, two walks, four strikeouts. He has been horrendous. His ERA is 24.30. His whip is 3.30. Uh, you could say he is the worst pitcher in the Brewers bullpen by far, but Mike Gonzalez, not too far behind. Um, guys, this is, just been a horrendous start to the year. You know, it was supposed to be a new year, a new bullpen, but this is very much deja vu to the 2012 bullpen, and we're not even 10 games into the season. Well, the problem is, is there, I mean, really there's only two bad pieces. Where last year, 
it was a conglomerate. I mean, it was basically anyone you went to gave it away. This year, it's two guys who are unreliable. I kind of feel like Michael Gonzalez is his problem is he had those first two outings in a Brewers uniform just go stupid bad from the bunt single to Alex the seven Gonzalez. pitch the seven pitch loading the bases game. Yeah, we're I mean it's a bunt single flying bats, <laughs> flying bats to stop Alex Gonzalez from making a play on anything. I mean it was just ridiculous, and then the um. He had another bad luck outing, I think on opening day, where it was, again, just bunt singles, really like bloop liners, and then he's giving up all these runs, and that's got to affect your confidence. But last night, he comes in, his only job, get the left-handed batter out, and he gives up a double down the line. Yeah, but I think like the the areas before that kind of lead up to this, where now he's like, well, what the hell do I have to do to get an out? Now it's affecting him in the long run. Uh, Axford, however, is a completely different puzzle. Um, Michael Gonzalez, yeah. Um, Michael Gonzalez, I mean, at least he's only signed this year. So, I mean, if he keeps that up, I mean, he does have a $2.25 million contract. But if he keeps up what he's been doing, you can just cut the cord and be done with him. Axford is someone where you have two years left of arbitration, where you kind of want to figure out what he if he can be useful again, because it's hard to give up on someone throwing 97, but when they're throwing 92 and giving up home runs, it's a little bit easier to go give up on them. I mean, this is a reliever who led the league in saves two years ago, was a, or in the top 10 for Cy Young's, even made it to the MVP ballot, and now he's a disaster. He's someone you can't even trust. He doesn't even have a game finish this year, despite being in that situation. And I think the the part that was most upsetting was just the use of the bullpen when in a game that we are close to winning yesterday against the Chicago Cubs or in the second game against the Chicago Cubs, because who knows when people will be listening to this. Um, you go to Michael Gonzalez, then you go to Axford. Axford gets the out, and then for the second time in a row, Renicki makes the mistake of going to him in the second inning. I under he, I mean, he blamed it on bullpen use and not or any her everyone not being available. But if you're willing to go to Al uh, Figaro after Axford blew it up, why not just go to Figaro, who's been lights out every chance he's gotten this year? And put him in the eighth inning. Then use—I know they were saying um, not Kinsler, but Badenhop was being saved for the ninth. Ugh, yeah, Badenhop. He's, he's almost—he's almost as bad as everybody else. I mean, Badenhop was when you mentioned the first two. I was like, why don't you mention Badenhop because he's doing just as bad, and he's another guy we weren't worried about at the beginning of the season. But he's a guy who's at least had a couple of good outings. He's just the other yes. couple of times he's been bad. So he's, I mean, he, I think he said two pretty much clean innings and then two really bad outings um, in the four games that he's appeared in. And um, Kinsler had looked good um, up until uh, Monday's game against the Cubs when he came in with that 7-2 to lead and barfed the game away that had to make us go get Henderson and use him, who Henderson has been outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. It's only been four innings and four games, but he hasn't given up a run. He struck out six. He's walked no one. 
uh, and he has been anointed the closer, quote unquote, for the time being. But uh, I don't know if Axford's going to turn around anytime soon, which means Henderson, unless he goes Axford on us, um, he looks like he's going to be the closer going forward. Um, yeah, Figaro has been a great surprise. Uh, if he continues to pitch the way he has, he's going to be another one of those great Doug Melvin finds just kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he was pitching in Japan. You know, he's got a huge fastball. He's only 28, which is still fairly young, um, uh, was a failed starter. And, I mean, he looks like he's got something to offer. Tom Gorzolani has looked good. But uh, Axford Gonzalez have been complete disasters. Baden Hopkinsler have had a, a couple of rough outings, but I think they'll end up being okay. Um, it's just so disappointing with Axford where, you know, he takes over for Hoffman in 2010 and just is tremendous. In 2011 is, you know, every bit as good as Craig Kimbrell was almost. And then last year, it's just, I don't want to say he's completely turnbowed himself yet, but he is getting very, very close to that territory. I actually had a customer at work today say, should we start calling him Turnblow right now? <laughs> I hate the Turnbow <laughs> reference, though, because I feel like that's a different I do, scenario. too, but it's so there. But It's, it's, it's like, there. It's there. <laughs> it's, 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 so the there. it's not deniable, but, I mean, it's, it's different because Turnbow was a one-trick horse, and once people figured out that trick – he failed. Axford is actually, when he's successful, is actually a good pitcher. He hits his location, he has velocity on top of it, and mixes and matches his pitches. Turnbow was hit this fastball. Oh, you can't. And then all of a sudden people could. And then he started throwing wild pitches everywhere. And yeah, Well, the problem, he, was, he was throwing 10 feet above, uh, I believe it was Damian oh, Miller and Jason Kendall's head for that season. Um, but Axford, I mean, the one thing I don't get is he has two options left. You have people like Olmstead, um, Broerjos, and Johnny Helwig. I mean, I'd rather keep, I'd rather go to Olmstead first because I, he's a true reliever. Where uh, Borges, Helwig, and even Tyler Thornburg, uh, people Jason actually mentioned to this morning on Twitter, where um, I'd rather see what they can do on starters and only bring them up when we have to. But he, you can option him. The other people you can't option gonzalez you can't option um so you, they're gonna stick with gonzalez i mean they're paying him yeah yeah was it two million or 2.5 million for one year i mean they're gonna, <laughs> yeah they're, they're going to stick with him for a while yet i mean they they yeah. want they want him to be that lefty specialist and he's gonna get more chances i mean he's not going anywhere but axford you're right he I mean you hate to option a guy down that's getting five million this year and that has been so successful, but you can't continue to run a guy out there to try to figure it out at the big league level because you're going to cost yourself a lot of games if he doesn't. I mean, I kind of agree with you. I'd probably go with Olmstead first just because he's a true reliever. The other guys, you still want to see if they can figure it out as a starter. But I mean, at this point, you just want to get someone in there who can throw you innings and get you outs. So I mean, even if they would go to Burgo, I mean Burgos, Helwig. Or um, Thornburg, they're all in the 40-man roster, so that's good. You don't have to worry about uh, making any other moves to add a guy to the 40-man. So I hope, especially if they, if Axford goes out there one more time and just completely shits the bed, I think they have no choice but to, even though he's going to be super pissed, you have to send him down and do and just say, dude, look, you've got to find out what made you so successful for a year and a half 
And the yeah. thing, I mean, after figuring out what made him bad last year, you'd think that he'd be able to rebound quicker because that's one thing is when you learn when he was good and nothing challenged him then he faced a challenge and he got over it you figure he'd be able to put together quicker this time and be able to get over it but it's not showing up that way another thing is i wonder too if they could put chris narvison on the 60 day because he's out for four to six months and bring weeks. up the last guy sent down, Donovan. Four hit. to six weeks. Or four to six weeks. I apologize. Yeah. It's like when did that get extended? <laughs> four to six weeks, but then bring up Donovan Hand, who was the last guy they sent down. And then two, when Narvison gets up off that sixty day DL, you have a guy who can come into the rotation and maybe put Willie Peralta into the bullpen for a month, so you can use him later in the season if you're making a push, um, or and then have Narvison in the rotation coming freshly off what, I mean, he'll spend the end of the 60 day disabled this on rehab assignment for a week or two. But I mean, it just, there are options. And I mean, at least they're acting quicker than last year by taking Axford out after only a couple of or three bad outings. And after a week, they take him out of the uh, closer role, which is a lot quicker than they did it last year. But you still need to, you need to react quickly to everyone else too, and you need to find quick solutions. And if you go to disciplesofeuchre.com right now, uh, JP Breen has a great article on Axford and release points, and looking at maybe perhaps some of his issues have been his release point. Apparently, he's throwing a little more over the top than he has in the past when he had his most success, and uh, he actually. You know, talks more about that in the article. And then um, uh, Rockies beat writer Troy Rank, who was in town, obviously, for the Rockies-Brewers game when Axford was getting shelled so much, said that a scout told him that the hitters are seeing his release points so well that it's almost as though he's tipping pitches. So I, I don't know if it's the release point, he's tipping pitches. What I mean, obviously, guys are seeing the ball, and they're, maybe it's also pitch selection, they kind of know when the fastball is coming because his breaking ball, he hasn't been able to get it over. And it's just, it seems like it's a big variety of things and it's just made for a big mess. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you just wish that, like I said, he got over it already. You figure, you know, go, go out, watch five hours of tape and then sit with Rick Kranitz in a bullpen session and be like, help me with this. And, it, I mean, we don't know what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing to try and fix it. He clearly wants to fix it. But I just – I'd rather see him in AAA right now where he can't hurt the team. And it's hard to say that about a guy, like you said, who's getting paid $5 million, but it's the only place he can't hurt the team. And I honestly don't care about the Nashville Sounds record. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Another thing is the basketball velocity has – yeah, and the fastball velocity has dipped too. You know, uh, he was as low as what, like ninety-one, ninety-two. A He's couple averaging of games like ninety-three right now. Uh, yeah, season. Where every other, I going back to two thousand ten, fastball velocity averaged ninety-four point nine. Two thousand eleven, ninety-five point six. Last year, he struggled, but he was hitting ninety-six point two. So, and my dog makes his first appearance on episode sixty-one. <laughs> um, it, and it, and we. You know, Axford's a good guy and a guy that I think everyone likes to root for. So it sucks to have to bash him and see him struggle like this. But, 
You know, I mean, in the end, it's not Major League Baseball of good guys. It's, you know, producing on the field, and he's not producing, and they need to do something and something fast before uh, the Brewers get too far out of contention because of him. And quite frankly, the entire bullpen, you know, needs to pitch better. Yeah, and with the offense depleted right now, the last thing they can afford to do is give up runs like they have been. And this staff has given up a lot so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we have. I think we've had three consecutive good outings. Oh, uh, yeah. let's see. Yeah. Um, so we've had two. two. One last Gallardo, one was the start. Yeah, Gallardo was uh, better against the Diamondbacks than he was against the Rockies, but that wasn't that great either. But Estrada and Peralta's last starts have been great, and Kyle Loach. The game Best he started start. was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked fantastic. I mean, he was striking guys out. He went six innings, even though he was on a limited pitch count. So, you know, looking forward to see what he does on Friday against St. Louis since uh, tonight's game was postponed, uh, rained out at Wrigley. So, um, I think the starting pitching is actually going to end up being okay. It's going to yeah. really come down to this bullpen. And also what we'll get into on our next uh, topic, which is the injuries and the shakeup on the roster, if they're going to score enough runs. So um, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, we will talk about the uh, the injuries, not even 10 games into the season and a little bit of roster shakeup. Episode 61 of the VFBC Brewers podcast. The View from Bernie's Chalet podcast with Jason, Alex, and Brad. Download us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Jay Donlinger, at Brew Crew Blue, and at Brew Crew B. The View from Bernie's Chalet podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers baseball club. Go Brewers! BFBC podcast episode 61. JD, Alex, and Brad back. Well, guys, I got to tell you, if um, you had told me before the season started, before Gamble ever got hurt, when just Corey Hart was hurt, that Unieski Betancourt would lead the Brewers in innings at first base on April 10th, I would have told you you were a damn liar, and I probably would have punched you in the face. But that's what's happened because of all the injuries, and it's just been insane. We're only eight games into the year. And I mean, it was insane that they even signed Betancourt to be to start the beginning of the season. But now he has gotten the most innings at first base because um, Aramis Ramirez went down with an injury in the fourth game of the season. And he's going to be out for the next uh, two to three weeks. He's on the 15 day DL. So Betancourt's been playing first. Uh, Gonzalez, who had been playing first in the place of the injured Hart and Gamble, has now moved over to third. Then we had the scare with Segura. He missed a game after he got slid into on Sunday and uh, tweaked his quad a little bit, but he was back in the lineup yesterday. has been fantastic. Um, and then Braun missed three games with those neck spasms. So we've had a lot of little injuries and scares, and the Brewers started the season with five guys on the disabled list, and they have added a couple more with Ramirez. And now Chris Narvison sprained his left middle finger. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, of course, the season started with Bianchi, Gamel, Green, and Rogers all in the DL. And with Betancourt playing so much, uh, it'd be really nice to have Taylor Green or Jeff Bianchi perhaps healthy. But um, Bianchi is uh, to be determined when he'll be back with his left uh, hip injury. And Taylor Green, they're hoping at some point in, in uh, April with his hip strain. But uh, he had a setback on April 9th doing some fielding drills. So, um 
it's just been nuts with these injuries. Luckily, Segura's injury wasn't more serious. He came back and, you know, thank the Heavenly Father that Braun's neck spasms only caused him to miss three games. Um, what, what do you think of this roster construction right now? Um, of course, when Narvis went on the deal, they brought Blake Lally up from AAA, and uh, he's going to kind of be the third emergency catcher and also probably get some time at first base. But I would have liked to have seen them just go with Hunter Morris because I can't stand at Unieski Betancourt playing first anymore. Well, I think part of the plan is actually to split the time with Maldi and uh, Uni at first, especially after Maldi had that three RBI game at first in the first uh, or versus the Cubs the other day. And with Lolly uh, now up, you've got your backup catcher yeah rather than logan schaefer (laughs) but i mean (laughs) the low point so far had to be the brewers have a chance to draw her to get the winning runs or to at least tying runs in in the extra innings game against the diamondbacks and then had to turn to kyle loesch as a pinch hitter which i didn't see that game a question for you guys if you did see it did they use did, did they use willie Peralta as a pinch hitter at that point no, they did not. I don't get that. I don't get. I feel like as far as using pitchers as a pinch hitter, which he, Ron Renneke's only had to do a few times, he doesn't go to the best hitter on the bench. Like I remember him going to Randy Wolf a couple times uh, last year, and <laughs> Willie Peralta could have been either an outfielder or a pitcher. Probably would have been a bad outfielder, but I mean, clearly I think his... he was an outfielder when they signed him out of the Dominican originally. Right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And then they liked his arm, so they converted him. And then, I mean, you hear all these stories about him just blasting bombs and BP. He's two for four on the season, and you go with Kyle Loesch, <laughs> which just seems... I'm... And if Yo would have been on the bench, he probably still would have gone with Kyle Loesch. It just uh, it doesn't make Loesch, sense. Loesch was a Loesch, probably not as good a hitter as Gallardo and Peralta. Definitely doesn't have the power, but I think he's like a career 150-something hitter, perhaps, which for a pitcher isn't bad. And I think he had he had a hit in his uh, opening start. So, Yeah, but, I mean, I just... Well, the bottom line is they shouldn't have been carrying so many. Yeah. They should be carrying so many pitchers that they didn't have a guy in the bench that they could have used there, and they didn't want to use Braun yet because of you know worrying about the neck spasms yet. So really, it's the the roster construction was all screwed up. They should have never yeah. had to use a pitcher there. Yeah, but um, it just got to that point between or with every injury that they had, they had no one to go to, which was the low point of these injuries. Thankfully, we're starting to come up from it. Hopefully, when these guys start coming back to the roster, it gives them a boost. I mean, the one thing that sucks is, in order to get Lolly up, you had to put Hart on the 60-day disabled list, which kind of sounds like that might be his timetable now. Um, But, because they clear up the 40-man roster spot. But still, it's not always something you want to be doing with uh i mean you want heart back as soon as possible so unfortunately now lolly's up uh, on the 40-man roster because of that which is a good thing because now they have the extra hitter but when you had three shortstops playing in the infield for a second yeah that was a little crazy yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, I mean, not that they ever stop mentioning on the broadcast, but before this season, Alex Gonzalez hasn't played anywhere but shortstop. Now he's played, made starts at first and third. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's just the construction they need to be doing. When you have both your catchers out and you don't have an emergency catcher, um, there's just so many odd things going on. I mean, you had to start Chris Davis, and we've, we've 
saw proof finally of why they don't want not we all know that there was good reason for it, but you saw proof of why they don't want Chris Davis playing right field. Not only does it, is his defense horrible, he's just making odd leaps at balls and taking horrible routes to them. Well, he ca- but, constantly uh, looks confused as well. Like whenever he's at the yeah. plate, he just has that like dumbfounded look on his face. Like, oh, what am I doing here? His right. arm, like he shouldn't be throwing into the infield ever. Oh. He should just get over to Carlos Gonzalez or Carlos Gomez and say, get it in. <laughs> yeah, his arm is as bad as advertised. And then I liked how uh, Rock, or maybe it was B.A., one of them on the broadcast, was saying, oh, it was like, smart of him to hit the cutoff man. No, he wasn't trying to hit the cutoff man. He was trying to throw home. It was that bad. Thank God the guy was there to cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> it was just pure coincidence. Yeah, it was and, a terrible throw. Well, on the other hand, though, you do had defensive gents from Logan Schaefer who hit oh, uh, that was Otto was catching beautiful. that day. He hit Maldi like dead on. I mean, that could have been a that was beautiful. He, I was, I was on a strike from left field. <laughs> um, but that I mean, still though, back to the the injuries. I mean, it's just ridiculous. At one, you pretty much had every significant run producer out of your lineup. You have a bunch of guys who are 250, if not worse, hitters starting for you, and you have maybe two bats on the bench. It was the saddest of days. Thankfully, we're coming off of it. And, I mean, hopefully they can survive without any more injuries until Ramirez gets back because you, you don't expect this to happen. I mean, it's bad. It's basically everyone important to the Brewers that's not a pitcher going down and then the important back-end pitchers are performing badly you can't score runs you're giving up runs after your starter gets out the first day without Braun had to be the worst though oh yeah yeah, that was and now I mean now you've got you know Blake Lally and Josh Prince up who you know I would never have expected would be up this early in the season, you know, and, and although Prince, you know, he had a nice hit the other day and it's nice that he's versatile and can play a lot of positions, but I don't see him doing much more than pinch hitting or de- coming in for defense late in a game. I don't think he's going to, you know, really get any starts. Um, they just got to really keep, keep weeks, Lou Croy, Braun and Segura healthy here now and Gomez and, and kind of, you know, uh, just keep it going steady until Ramirez and Hart can come back. And Ramirez is only going to be a couple more weeks. You know, it should be back before April ends. And then now Hart, though, it looks like he's not eligible to come off till May 30th. But if you can uh, keep th- – if the pitching can step up, the bullpen specifically, I think they'll still score enough runs with the guys they have as long as no one else gets injured that uh, they should be able to hopefully get close to 500, stick around 500, and then when you get Ramirez and Hart back, hopefully things really open up. But, um, yeah, with if Braun would have had to go on the DL or Segura, you know, that was kind of scary with his quad when he got, you know, slid into on that, uh, which was Unieski Betancourt's fault. Let's not forget here that <laughs> that throw he threw from first base yeah. to Segura to try to get the double play was so terrible, which made Segura have to stretch, which left him unprotected, and he got slid right into, you know, it was, it was terrible. Uh God damn Unieski. Well, I don't know if I jinxed the whole team because I was like, man, as soon as I heard about the uni signing, I'm like, I know that this dude is going to get more starts than anybody wants to see. And it's happening right now. So early. Hopefully a combination of Prince Schaefer uh, and uh, Lolly can hit well enough where when they need to put Hart back on the – 40-man roster, they're like, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Get the hell out of here. 
Yeah, it's wishful thinking though. I heard, I think Betancourt's on this bench. He's for the for, for the long haul. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Unfortunately, I mean, can anyone see the attraction? I mean, no defense. I mean, first is probably his best defensive position because he doesn't. All he has to do is run to a bag. But you wonder if he's capable of that. And when he needs the pinch hit, you're sending up a guy who is mo- the most likely guy in the majors to pop up or strike out. Mm-hmm. He's literally. I mean, you could send the Gatorade container out there and have better luck. Instead, you're putting out Unieski Betancourt. Send the Bat Boy out. Sign him to a contract to play on the bench. It's, it's just it's sad but true. And you know, but once we do get Ramirez and Hart back, I I think this bench is going to actually look pretty decent because then Gonzalez will go to the bench. And, you know, I, I think the bench is actually going to look pretty good once we get our actual full starting infield back. Well, the, the exciting um, thing about that, too, is I can't remember, aside from, like, rookie players waiting to get their playing time in, I can't remember we've actually had a guy who should be starting on our bench like Gonzalez will be. Because Gonzalez, if not for that injury, is a starter on our team right now. But thanks to the injury last year and us being, being able to sign him so he can prove to the rest of the league that he can be better, now we get him and we get to use him as basically, I mean, he's going to be playing a similar role to what um, Jerry Harrison played for us in yeah. 2011, where he's going to be probably a super utility guy and just ranging around, still getting a fair amount of starts and just giving guys off days. That's a really good comparison, and, and that'll be perfect, you know, once they get fully healthy. Um, you know, I, Chris Davis, I do still like his bat. He doesn't look great at the plate, but I still think he's got something in that bat. But, yeah, his defense, you can see why there's no chance he could play center or right because he's just kind of confused. He doesn't have the arm. I still don't and, – and now, you know, at first I still think, you know, maybe they could try to play him there, but they just said it went so horribly when they tried once before. So, um but, you know, when we first started the segment, I brought up Hunter Morris, and I was kind of going back and forth on Twitter, I believe it was Monday night, with um, J.P. Breen, Steve Garchinski, and Ryan Topp at Disciples of Euchre, and we were all just kind of discussing, like, Hunter Morris and, you know, should they bring him up or not, and they decided to go with Lolly. But, you know, people say, well, you don't want to start his clock. Well, I don't know if Morris is ever going to be, like, a star, and he's already 24, but I think he could be, you know, a decent everyday type first baseman for a while. So why not bring him up now and just ride it out, see what happens? I mean, it's is what more does he have to develop down in AAA? It seems like his bat already plays down there. I don't know what more he can do with that. I mean, defensively, maybe he needs a little more work, but he's probably better defensively at first than you know. Without a doubt, he, options. I remember in Huntsville, he when he won the MVP award. I think he does like whatever the hell the minor Gold Glove is. I believe he won that at first. Yeah, but you know um, that's kind of like the major league Gold Gloves. It doesn't always mean you're like the best defensively. Kind of. Yeah, but it means he's at least competent. Which well, right. Right. He's better than Betancourt or Gonzalez playing there, who've never played there before. (laughs) And, too, I mean, it's part of what made his development so long, because I believe he was an infielder or um, outfielder who moved to first. And I remember reading an interview or listening to an interview, I think, on uh, MLB Network that uh, Doug Melvin gave and said he was just horrible. And now that he's developed to a guy who's competent enough to win awards, 
and his bat has always played, he's a guy who can be successful. I mean, it's still nice for him to be in the AAA where you can, because this is where you're starting to, or where when you're developing, you're starting to see uh, breaking pitches that can actually get people out rather than breaking pitches that people are just throwing to throw. Um, you're seeing more polished guys who can hit the zone consistently. Um, and I mean, if they don't have to, uh, if Ramirez were out longer, I'd say do it because he's pretty much your only chance of making up for that power of between Ramirez and Hart. But since Ramirez is only out for a little while, I just, I don't know. I think he's a guy who can really be a big addition to this club in the long run. So it'd be, it'd be nice for a team like the Brewers who can't afford another year of arbitration or to use, lose a guy early to have that, that extra year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he can't be a, you know, become a good everyday first baseman, but I don't think he's like star potential. So I won't worry too much about starting the clock or money in the future. You know, I mean, and if he is, if he comes up and all of a sudden he is, well, then win win. But, um, and he didn't, he didn't hit great in spring at all. But once again, it's spring stats. I don't look too much into that. I just think uh, your other court hit like 400 in ex- spring. Exactly. I mean, when your other options at first right now are Betancourt or Lolly or throwing Gonzalez over there or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, I just think, you know, Hunter Morris, let him sink or swim and, you know, see how he does. And when Harden Ramirez, you know, when Ramirez comes back, he, he goes back down or when Hart comes back, whatever. Like, I just thought it was worth trying it out and especially you know if they weren't going to clear a for- they had to clear a 40 man spot for lolly which was you know uh putting nervous on the 60 day or excuse me putting putting hard on the 60 day i'm sorry um if they weren't going to clear a 40 man spot i would say okay keep morris you know in triple a but since they clear a 40 man spot anyways why the hell not go with him um i don't know i i can see the advantages to both i just i mean my big thing is now that you have lolly up I think the best option, I think what they, hopefully, I believe what they're going to do, because they did do it for a while when they didn't have an option at first last year, is play Maldonado there. And I think Maldonado will probably hit just as well. And, I mean, his defense isn't great, but at least he can make smarter plays and has a better arm than Betancourt. um, Because he is very smart base, or as far as his baseball knowledge goes. Insight. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. pretty good. But, I mean, he does he does make some mistakes at first that more experienced first baseman wouldn't make. But it's still, that bat makes up for it. When you have a guy who can hit 270 with 20-plus home runs, which Maldonado can do, um, given the proper amount of at-bats, I think having him and Lucroy in the lineup at a single time is a big advantage for the Brewers when you don't have someone like Hart. And I think that's just a little bit, you might as well get use out of Maldonado rather than him just sitting on the bench and let Morris just become a little bit better. So instead of giving Hart 18 million or 15 million, I mean, it won't be that much last year, probably 12 million, 10 million, something like that along those lines next year, you can say, Nope, we got it. And we have Hunter Morris. See you later. And I like Hart. I'd like to see him back. I just think that as an organization, when Hart's going to be on the bad side of his age at the end of whatever we give him to, you might as well just go with the young guy, cheap guy. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, right now, the offense, you know, now that Brown and Segura back, I think they're going to be fine scoring runs. And really, you know, Weeks and Gomez and Lucroy haven't even really hit yet. 
Yeah. So if you get those guys going along with what Braun, Segura, Aoki have done, and then Ramirez comes back, I mean, it, it is definitely going to come down to the pitching, you know, especially the bullpen, to, if this team is going to get into contention or not this year. So, One thing, and I meant to bring it up gotta, or in the last conversation, is speaking of Henderson being in the closer and, like, the bullpen rearrangement, did that Cubs save remind you of, k-rod's first save when he took over his closer because that's kind of how i felt where he just barely squeaked by granted he came into a bad situation yeah it was a bad situation so i don't really blame whatever you know henderson just squeaking by there because it was a pretty messed up situation (laughs) he had to come into so because if i mean k-rod when he took over he got in that basis loaded jam where i mean he barely got out of it I then didn't do any better than Axford, and was kind of like, uh, I don't like where this is going. I think Henderson's doing Here. better than Axford, though. Yeah, yeah, Henderson has has looked damn good. And and every time you bring up when K Rod kind of started to take over closing for Axford, I think of that Philly series when they lost like three games in a row by the same score, and yeah. when the pen blew it. <laughs> it's like that just gives me terrible nightmares of that series. Um, you know, now we're on the bullpen here again. I just, I just hope Michael Gonzalez can get it straightened out because he, he could be a very valuable play, you know, pitcher out of the bullpen if he can come in and do his job, which is the only job is to get left-handed hitters out. But if he can't do that, he is pretty much useless. And you're paying a guy over two million dollars to be useless yeah. if he doesn't. So hopefully he figures it out and gets back. I mean, he was good for the Nationals last year as just a guy that was a lefty specialist. He did not throw many innings at all, but had a ton of appearances because he would just come in for one and two outs and what, what have you. And uh, if he can't do that, he's, he's useless garbage, really, <laughs> uh, to put it bluntly. So <laughs> it's not, not true, but uh, all right, let's, uh, let's take our final break. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with our uh, normal stuff. We'll preview the week ahead. We'll go around the NL Central and uh, name our first Shelley Award winner of 2013. It's episode 61 of the View from Bernie Chalet podcast. The View from Bernie Chalet with Jason, Alex, and Brad. We want to know what you think. Send us an email or contact us on Twitter at jdonlinger, at brewcrewblue, and at brewcrewbeat. The View from Bernie Chalet podcast. Fans talking to fans. And we're back on episode 61 of the podcast. JD, Alex, and Brad. Time to preview the week ahead for the Brewers. Uh, On April 10th here, they were supposed to play the Cubs in the third game of their three-game set at Wrigley Field. It was canceled and postponed, uh, I believe, to July 30th. Uh, Just too much rain there and too much rain here in Wisconsin and everywhere. It's been an awful week so far. Um, so the Brewers will have off Thursday, and then we'll resume Friday, April 12th. Three-game set at Bush Stadium against the hated St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, it's going to start off with Kyle Loesch. Uh, he's 0-0 with a 1.50 ERA against uh, Cardinals super prospect Shelby Miller. He is 1-0 with a 3.38 ERA. That's a 7-15 start. Uh, Saturday, 3-15 start, which I believe is a Fox Saturday game of the week uh, start. That's going to be Giovanni Gallardo. He is 0-0 with a 5.73 ERA going up against Cardinals ace Adam Wainwright. 1-1. Yeah. (laughs) The now rich Adam Wainwright, which means the Brewers will have him at some point in the next eight years. Um, 
Uh, he is one and one with a 3.46 ERA, and then they will wrap that series up on Sunday. One fifteen start from Bush. It's gonna be Marco Estrada. He's one and zero with a 4.50 ERA. Going up against Jaime Garcia. He's one and zero with a 2.92 ERA. And after the three-game series in St. Louis, the Brewers will continue on the road. Nope, they won't. Uh, <laughs> check that. Psych. <laughs> They'll have an off day Monday, and then they're going to start another homestand. They'll have the uh, defending world champion Giants coming in for three, and then the Cubs coming in for three. Um, and then they will head out to the West Coast after that. So um, that is previewing the week ahead. Alex? Oops. Yeah, Brad? Oh, Kyle Loesch has to be loving the rain out because now he gets to do what he was talking about when he first got signed and take on his team right, his old team right away who left him hanging. I, You <laughs> so. know, I, I actually was thinking about that. And I'm like, I wonder if this is maybe this is karma. Maybe this is the sign that the season will turn around. But maybe this postponement and now having two days off here and Kyle Loesch getting a start against his old team on Friday, maybe this is the the turnaround point. I know it's hard to have a turnaround point uh, less than 10 games into a season, but you know, maybe, maybe this is the start of something. Maybe he can go out and have a, you know, the Brewers have historically not played real well against the Cardinals, especially at Bush. So maybe Loesch can go out and pitch a hell of a game. They score some runs. The bullpen doesn't fuck it up and they uh, take two out of three in that series. It would be outstanding. Um, Alex, let's uh, go around the NL central. Thanks, Jason. Well, Cubs minor leaguer Jorge Soler, the team's top prospect, was ejected from a game against Clearwater in the Florida State League for wielding a bat on the field. Apparently, Clearwater's second baseman Carlos Alonso was upset after Soler broke up a double play. After the play, Alonso laid down for a nap on Soler, which he took offense to and tried to nudge him off, inciting a fight. After the two were quickly separated, Soler emerged from the dugout wielding a bat. After his teammates rushed to stop him, he was ejected from play. Solar said he finally lost it when Alonzo, Alonzo made uh, disparaging remarks about his family. Theo Epstein said that Solar was very apologetic, and he had a sit-down with Soriano, who assured him that some people are just negative, and he should ignore them and play hard, do the right thing. Great advice, but coming from one of the laziest outfielders in the bigs, it comes as a surprise. Don't worry, Brewer Nation, the division favorite Reds offense isn't doing that great either. After two tough series against the Angels and the Nationals to open the season, the Reds had to take the show on the road to St. Louis, a stadium which past experience has taught them nothing. No matter who pitches, they always give them fits. Going back 10 years, the Reds are 3-23-2 at Bush Stadium. The power offense we all see has been held to a measly run over the last two games, and they haven't scored again in the last 14 innings. Homer Bailey snapped his scoreless streak, dating back to 2012, compliments of the St. Louis offense, in the fifth inning. Bailey was unable to get an out in the sixth and was bailed out by Mike Adams after taking a hit off his ankle that flew into left field for a double. Meanwhile, Westbrook pitched a complete game shutout and earned a well-deserved win. Westbrook didn't do anything fancy except limit damage in the few instances he let men on base. He struck out just three batters and walked four, but he held the Reds to only five hits, most of which came with two outs. Westbrook's success can be attributed to the Reds being overly aggressive at the plate. Swinging early and missing often will only get you paid if your name is Uni. The Cardinals, meanwhile, scored seven runs off the starter, while home runs served up to Jay, Bailey, and Adams. Cincinnati and St. Louis 
currently sit atop the division at 5-4, and four, but my money is on St. Louis having sole possession by the time you hear this podcast. Starling Marte, the brightest spot so far for the Pirates, is hitting like a man among mice. As of Wednesday, Marte had his fifth consecutive multi-hit game and improved his batting average to 333 on the season. Having a weapon like Marte at the leadoff spot is a great thing to have. The only problem is the rest of the Pirates lineup is hitting for a combined 128 average. Having what Clint Hurdle calls an explosive spark is one thing. Utilizing him correctly is another. The Pirates need a hit be- right now because Pittsburgh's big spark is falling on a wet wood. Even adding Marte's average, the Pirates as a team aren't even hitting 170. Marte is a complete package, so when the Pirates do start to hit, maybe he won't have already fizzled out. If McCutcheon, Walker, and Alvarez start to show up, this may be a tough offense. But for now, fire needs a flame, not a spark. Back to you, Jason. All right, thanks, Alex, for uh, another trip around the NL Central. Brad, we now throw it to you, and for the first time in 2013... We will hand out the Chalet Award for the Brewer of the Week. Take it away. Uh, well, this week, I mean, there were a ton of good candidates, and it would probably go to the Brewers' perennial MVP. But you know what? I'm going to not give it to Ryan Braun because he missed a few games. So, I mean, that that didn't help the team. So, therefore, you can't be an MVP if you're doing things that detract from the team. However... There was one guy, the Brewers' first legitimate leadoff hitter in how long. He had a bunch of big hits, and he really helped the team out um, and put the team in place to win a lot of games, even though they did not win a lot of games. He had 389, 450, or had a 450 OBP and a 556 slugging in the first week and a half of the season. It's going to Nori Aoki. Well deserved. Um, I was. It was. Zero. I mean. Segura also deserved it. I mean, considering he was hitting 500 until like last yesterday, but uh, again, when he set out, he hurt the team. Exactly. <laughs> Although, I mean, they both clearly had to sit out. But right, Aoki, right, right. Aoki playing all the games and like I said, some really big hits and red hot at the plate. He just, uh, especially on his bobblehead day, came up big multiple times, even from just when the Brewers need someone to get on base to when he needs to drive in runs to even that home run that gave them uh or tied the game for them on opening day. It, he's just had a lot of really big hits this season. And, you know, Aoki just looking like another, you know, just an awesome signing by the Brewers. You know, the fact that they were able to win the posting fee for him, <laughs> you know, when he left Japan and then no one knew what to really expect from him. I mean, yeah, he had some really nice years in Japan, but you don't know what you're going to get when he comes over here and, you know, not really playing much last April and then just really taking off. And it looks like he's going to have another good year and they're not paying him much. And uh, <laughs> he's just been great. Well, that's the trick for Doug Melvin is the more random the signing, the more successful the player is it just has to be something out of left field where you're like, oh, my God, how'd you get that guy? Kind of like, like earlier when, earlier when we talked about Figaro, you know, just yeah. out of nowhere. And, I mean, he was the guy you barely heard about. And uh, Hoki is making, for a guy of his production, he's making one point and a quarter million this year. And then he has a team option of one and a half million in 2014. And, I mean, he will be 32, but he's playing like a young 32, uh, he had a war of two, or a war, I'm looking at the wrong war, a war of 3.5 last year and already has a war of 0.6 this year, just 
10 games in, so he's a he's a spectacle to say the least. He has been the truth, and it's you know he he seems like a a good clubhouse guy. He's really taken to the team. The team has taken to him, and uh, he's fun to watch. Definitely. Um, that will uh, wrap it up, guys. Episode sixty-one in the books. Uh, we will be back next week. We, you know, we said after episode sixty when we did the prediction preview show that we would be in every week. We skipped last week, but that was kind of we thought. You know, the season hadn't really gotten going yet. There wasn't much to talk about. We figured we'd give it one more week, and now we should be in every week. But it was like you know they had only played a couple games <laughs> at that point. It was like, what can you really talk about? Yeah, we'd be um, one of those guys who is making crazy assumptions, like. Gardo's going to have a 45 ERA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had it with three games in, and they're one and two. This season is over. Well, basically, any radio caller you've heard all week. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So we thought we'd just skip it, and then uh, now we should be returning weekly. So um, that will do it. Uh, we'll be back next week for Alex in Kenosha, for Brad in Whitewater. I am JD in Germantown. Our apologies to John Axford. We ran out of time. You have been listening to the View from Bernie Shelley podcast. Go Brewers. And now, here's some deleted scenes from the View from Bernie Shelley podcast. Man, who's excited that they get Wesley Snipes back into their life? <laughs> what? What is he doing? Uh, he He's just got jail. out of jail. <laughs> I didn't even know he was in jail. Really? Maybe he'll make another Blade movie. That'd be awesome. Those Blade movies are pretty badass, though, actually. Well, that's just because you have a man boner for Triple H, but... You know, Triple H is any. I I used to like Triple H a lot, but I have not... I You know, over the last few years not a big fan i mean he's more he's like a part-time wrestler now anyways but eh. well over the last few years i mean not that i like wrestling or respect that you like it but over the last few years his big problem was like he was like oh i have a bunch of power so i can just like keep getting the title back because i'm like banging i'm pretty much the boss now because vince mcmahon's too old for this linda mcmahon's the senator and so stephanie's like running the show so i can just do whatever the fuck i want first of all (laughs) Linda McMahon was a failed senator. She lost twice. Well, Uh, she she was trying to do it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Second of all, Triple H, like, over the last uh, two or three years, has only wrestled, like, maybe, like, one or two matches a year. But, yeah, before that, he was winning the title a lot, whatever. And and he is married to... Back up with... uh with um sean michaels for a while and then yeah, he was, yeah i remember like i'd still watch it on and off around then and i was like man like he was like the 12-time champion by the time i completely stopped watching yeah i just can't get back like i although i make fun of you for it every now and then i i understand it i just can't get back into it and it's like i mean all the sentimentality yeah, cool. the kid is gone <laughs> just to to each his own um i i i was i was out of it for like three or four years i mean i went through a period i think like about oh six oh seven i got out of it and then i got back into it again in 2011 all my friends are back into it like my my buddy and his wife go to every event that comes to milwaukee i'm like did i miss the boat on something it's uh it's cm punk cm punk is the guy that got me back into it 
I think a lot of people like CM Punk. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's just... To me, he was like what Stone Cold Steve Austin was to me in like 97, 98 when I got into it again. Because, you know, I had watched it as a kid. I didn't watch it for a long time. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin got really big. I got super into it. I was into it, you know, for like, you know, eight, eight, nine years. Then I got out of it again and now I'm back into it. And I'll probably be into it now for a while. Maybe, you know, I enjoy it. I, it's just, it's something different and it's fun. It's entertaining. I enjoy the actual, like, wrestling matches. Like, I just enjoy a good, when two guys go in there and they're actually good at what they do. So, you know. Um, I don't know. It just... But like getting it, back to Blade and Wesley Snipes, let me just say Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes was Willie Mays Hayes, so he will forever, right. forever be awesome I, to me. Uh, I don't know why, but maybe it's because like I he's so old in like the Blade movies and everything. But I can never like I always forget he's Willie Mays Hayes, like always. <laughs> yeah, he was so young in that movie, and like and then in Major League, you know, he was only in that one because then Omar Epps was Willie Mays Hayes in Major League Two. Maybe that's why, because I've seen. Although I like Major League One more, I've seen Major League Two more. Or... I think Major League Two, obviously not as good as One, but a very good movie still. No, I still I, love I, it. I don't think it gets its due as a good sequel. No, um, I mean I think the thing that ruins it though is the, I mean the baseball part of it and like the team part of it's awesome, but the Charlie Sheen part of it is kind of like, eh. it, so I think that's why it. Because he's supposed to be, like, the main character. Yeah. Well, uh, John Axford has not tweeted since April 4th. So he must be avoiding Twitter with his bad start. He doesn't want to see his mentioned column, probably. Yikes. Both facilities have... This is about County Stadium. Both facilities have since been demolished. The playing field, the County Stadium, is now a Little League baseball field. That's not correct. (laughs) <laughs> the, the like same location is now but not the playing field right oh, i believe where home plate was at county stadium is where home plate is at hellfare field no, they like, yeah it's like the exact same spot just smaller dimensions but right. it's like it's brand new like everything well it's 11 years old but or 12 years old how old's county state 13 years 13 years right if you count the first season as one, yeah. Yeah. Than zero. I'd also like to hit up a. I don't know if you guys would want to do this, but I'm gonna do it at some point, anyways. If somebody is going up to a Timber Rattlers game because oh yeah, that, damn sure <laughs> that team looks awesome, man. Oh, like, there is winning baseball somewhere in Wisconsin. You just gotta drive to it, <laughs> and probably fairly soon, like Victor Roche will be there as well to join uh-huh. Clint Walter and Tyrone Taylor. And Magnifico. And... I was talking to Ryan Top about this, and uh, uh, with Clint Coulter and Victor Roach, it's been a while since it, there's been like a I can't wait to see this hitter prospect in our in our minor system, and especially mm-hmm. Victor Roach is a guy like that. He hits like 500 foot bombs, like nonstop. Yeah. Big time <laughs> but, power. I can't wait to for that kid to get up here because, I mean, he's a prospect that can be up in two years too. Yep, as long as his wrist is healthy or whatever, and you know, yeah, he he could be an impact guy. And didn't they Coulter too? Because he was catching. Didn't they move him to like he's third? He's still catching. He's still catching. I don't think it's gonna last very long. From everything I've read about him, though, is that it's pretty rough behind the plate. It's kind of like 
Brett Laurie was a catcher too. Once upon a time, <laughs> well, they have to move him to third, right? Because I mean, he's got to be the heir to the Ramirez throne. I would think so because you know if Morris is the heir to first, and Segura is obviously at short. Luke Croizak catch for a long time. Uh, weeks probably is... Roach after Roach is after Aoki, Janet whenever Weeks More. like yeah, and is tank yeah. dry. And then yeah, Alter, you would think if they're gonna move him off the catcher, it'd have to be the third. So, and I mean, it could be outfield too. I mean, yeah. Well, I just don't see why you'd have Coulter and Roach in the outfield. I also think there's a chance that someday Braun could play first. So, especially if Morris doesn't necessarily work I, out, because that's exactly what kind of happened to Pujols too. Yeah, Braun but you, to clear room. I still think if they think Chris Davis is bad, is that good? You have to talk to Braun about moving him to third. Or to oh. right field. Oh, okay, not... yeah, right. I was going to say third. Like, don't. Brad, are you not? Don't do that. that. <laughs> We've done that before. That was right. a failed experiment. When you when you look at Braun's rookie year, if he didn't have, if he wasn't so bad defensively at third, his war would have been insane that year. Because his. <laughs> what, an eight, not that fielding percentage means much, but I mean, it represents that season pretty well, and his fielding percentage is like 820. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Terrible. And his offense numbers, like he slugged, he slugged like 600. The one thing is, I remember like every time he made an error, and it's still true in the outfield too. Um, anytime he makes an error, he like comes up and he belts a home run or he just does something ridiculously offensively. Like uh, even one, even base running errors, like he always has to do something to make up for it. I think that's like his goal is he wants to make everyone forget about that. Like, because I remember that one time. Like, uh, I think it was the 2011 season, and you guys, I'm sure, will remember it, but he, like, only got to first on, like, a pop-up that someone missed catching, and he should really should have been at second, but he wasn't running hard. So you could see he was really pissed off, and then someone hit, like, a single, and, he, like, Eddie Cedar's giving him the stop sign, and he just blows right through it and it scores. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that wasn't like... the first or last time that someone blew through an Eddie Cedar stop sign, too. <laughs> Which is funny, because <laughs> Eddie Cedar and his uh, his signs, just they seem to be easy to ignore. Captain Windmill yeah. over there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Who uh, did he home the other day? That, or, or Ramos Ramirez, where it was like, Eddie, out of everyone on the team, like, like yeah. said, over and over again, he's Johnny Estrada slow. He's a special type of slow. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, some people are like, well, there was two outs or something i don't remember like executive hits can you line together with two outs i was like fuck that if the pitcher's doing bad he's doing bad. don't give him an excuse to get out exactly <laughs>